Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of MG on the Mic. It has been quite a while since I've filmed my last episode, and I'm sorry about that. It's just the, obviously the main league that I cover is the NWSL, and they are in the offseason right now, so only some minor player movements have been happening, or not minor, some player movement has been happening, but that's pretty much about it. It'll probably the player movement will probably ramp up around the draft, and the draft is in a in about a month, a little under a month. And I am back at home for winter break with college. That's another reason why I didn't get an episode filmed was because finals are always rough. But um, I am back home, so if there's any weird noise that's probably what it is because I left my mic in my dorm room but anyways this episode I'm going to be talking about the off-season moves up to the date that I'm recording this in the NWSL I'm going to be talking about just some general NWSL news the NCAA College Cup, which granted did happen about a month ago, but like I said, I haven't filmed an episode in a while. And then give you what the table in England looks like in the FAWSL, and then tell you the quarterfinalists for the Women's Champions League. So, without further ado, let's get started. So, the first thing I'm going to be talking about are the off-season moves in the NWSL. Some teams have made more than others. Some have signed free agents. Some haven't. This is the first off-season for free agency, so it has been really interesting to watch. To start off with Angel City, most or all of their off-season moves so far have been re-signings since the initial roster, the waiver list came out. They re-signed Jasmine Spencer, who is a defender, to a two-year deal with an option for a third, and she was a free agent. So that's a good keep for them, that they got her to stay. They re-signed Megan Reed, who was also a defender, to a one-year contract, and she was the Iron Woman of the team which means she played every single minute of every single game. And I think Megan Reed was one of the biggest surprises for me last season. She was a 25, I think, year old rookie who came in, who got waived by San Diego during preseason. And then Freya Coombe, the coach for Angel City, called her and was like, hey, come play for us. And then because of injuries, she ended up playing the whole season and was honestly pretty good at it. I think she was a surprise on the back line for a lot of people. And then they also re-signed Paige Nielsen, who is also a defender, to a two-year contract. The Chicago Red Stars kind of had a little, have had a little bit of a rough um, beginning to the offseason, and you'll see why as I get to where they, to where some of the people are going who all left. Essentially, their midfield core, who were all free agents, so Vanessa DiBernardo, Morgan Gatra, um, 
and <clears throat> excuse me, Vanessa Di Bernardo, Morgan Gatra, and Danny Colaprico all left Chicago on free agency and went to various different places. Rachel Hill also left, but that midfield core was really, really essential to their system, and so it'll be interesting next year. Sarah Waldmo, who was a midfielder, is retiring, so she also left. She missed the 2020 season with pregnancy, and she gave birth to her son on August the 3rd. Sarah Lubert is going to Club America in Mexico for an agreed-upon transfer fee. She was on loan there previously before she was on loan there from Chicago, and then she came back to Chicago for a little bit last season, and then she's going back. Gotham FC signed Kristen Edmonds, who's a defender, on a two-year contract. She came from the Kansas City Current, and she signed as a free agent. They also signed Neely Martin, who's a defender, to a one-year contract with a one-year option. She was picked up off the waiver wire, and she played her first two seasons at Racing Louisville. They re-signed Victoria Pickett, who they acquired off of a trade with Kansas City in the middle of this t- middle towards the end of the season last year. Who Victoria Pickett is a midfielder, and she was re-signed to a three-year contract with an option for a fourth. The Houston Dash re-signed two players, both for two years. They re-signed Michelle Alozzi, who's a forward, and Allie Prysock, who's a defender. Kansas City Current made some moves. They signed, like I was mentioning, that Chicago midfield core. They signed two really important pieces. Vanessa DiBernardo signed a two-year contract, and Morgan Gatra signed a two-year contract. And they were both free agents from Chicago. And this, to me, more than anything, obviously very good gets for Kansas City, but to me more than anything, this puts more questions into what exactly Sam Lewis's status is um, and what that midfield in Kansas City will look like. And if, Because I think Kansas City is going to make some interesting trades this offseason. That's just my prediction, though, of course. They re-signed Haley Mace, who's a defender, to a three-year contract and also defender Kate Delfava to a two-year contract. And then just today, the day I'm recording this, they signed Swedish forward Mimi Larson to a two-year contract from FC Rosengard. The North Carolina Courage had move a good move and kind of a Bad move, sad move, I guess. Estelle Johnson, a defender, signed a two-year contract, and she's coming from Gotham as a free agent. And Dabinia, a midfielder, is not returning. She's a free agent, and she's heavily, heavily linked to be going to Arsenal, which is obviously a severe loss for the NWSL. She's probably everybody's main target. I mean, if you can get Dabinia, get Dabinia. The Orlando Pride re-signed two key free agents in Erica Timrak, a midfielder, for two years, and then Marta, a forward, to two years. And Marta tore her ACL. 
the beginning of the Challenge Cup last season, so she didn't really get to play all that much. So it'll be interesting to see her take part in this big, what will be guaranteed to be a revenge season for a lot of people. Racing Louisville signed Ellie Pikuyamsa, who's a Finnish defender to a two-year contract with an option for a third. This was a really interesting player because she's also a snowboarding silver medalist at the Junior Olympics, and she's coming from Swedish club KIF Orebro. San Diego Wave also made a couple of signings for free agents. They signed Rachel Hill, a forward, to two years, who came from Chicago Red Stars, and they also signed Danny Colaprico, who was a midfielder for two years, also from Red Stars. They have a heavily Red Stars-influenced lineup in San Diego, it seems. Washington Spirit made several moves in the offseason. Um, Julia Rodder is not returning. She signed for Hammerby Football in Sweden. They re-signed Amber Brooks, a defender, for one year as a free agent. They re-signed Tori Huster, a defender, for one year as a free agent. And then they signed Gabby Carl, a Canadian defender, to a two-year contract with a one-year option. And the GM, or the president, I'm not sure the exact title of his position, is Mark Corian who used to be at FSU, and FSU is the <clears throat> is the school that Carl graduated from. So going to Washington reunites her with her old college coach and Mark Krikorian. And she was also a Olympic gold medalist with Canada. So she provides a much-needed reinforcement to the back line with... Um, Kelly O'Hara's moving to Gotham. And then they just re-signed Nicole Barnhart, a free agent goalkeeper, to a one-year contract today. So as of right now, I probably missed something. I feel like I definitely missed something. But as of right now, that is all of the news that I have as far as free agent stuff and just signings in general. Like I said, with the draft drawing closer and closer, it will probably pick up again at some point. But now, on to just regular, just overall NWSL news, Merrick Paulson has put the Thorns up for sale. He's asking around $50 million. Arnhem Whistler is also selling his stake in the Chicago Red Stars. And when these announcements came out, everybody kind of thought for sure, like, that NWSL PA report is coming soon. Like, it's coming because these two owners have been super, super reluctant to show any kind of motivation in selling um, their stakes in the clubs. Portland Thorns coach Rianne Wilkinson resigned from her head coaching position. She resigned after having a relationship with a player who was defender Emily Mingus and losing the locker room. The Something I thought interesting is it 
the relationship was said to have violated the league's HR policies, or I don't know if HR is the correct terminology or what the correct terminology for those policies are, but the relationship between this coach and the player violated a league policy but didn't violate a club policy so it was it was kind of a pointing fingers situation um the washington spirit are going to play all of their home games at audi field starting in the 2023 season in the past they've played some games at segra field and segra's just awful it's has really bad turf everybody hates it the spirit players hate it the people who visit hate it um and Audi is hosted the championship this year it hosted a women's national team game this year and both of those had some really nice really good turnouts so it'll be interesting to see how much support the spirit can get behind them if Audi is their home 24-7. Like I said, like I mentioned, the NWSL and NWSLPA joint investigation came out. If you remember me briefly touching on the Sally Yates investigation with U.S. soccer, there's honestly not much new news as far as the intense stuff like the Christy Holly stuff or the Rory Dames and Paul Riley stuff. But we did get new details about inappropriate relationships. And I'm not going to go into too much detail. Um, I'm just going to kind of give overviews of what everything was. Because I don't want to... I don't want to trigger anybody, I guess, that might be listening to this. But the... And the report is out there, so it is quite hefty. But if you want to read it, I highly suggest you do. Um, the report released details about Elise Alice. I'm not quite sure how you say her first name. LaHue's firing from being the GM of Gotham. And this was basically another inappropriate relationship that wasn't really reciprocated on the player end that the player felt was kind of weird. Jill Ellis, who is the president at San Diego, denies receiving the complaints about Rory Dames from Kristen Press. And this is kind of interesting because the Sally Yates investigation seems to directly... Um, directly deny this fact says that she did receive them so she was either bad at her job or or she's lying and if she really didn't see the complaints and she was bad at her job that's still not that much better Vera Powell Paul who's the former Houston Dash head coach was named due to body shaming and it was the same thing for Fareed Ben City Vera Powell um, le- kind of, she released a statement talking about potentially taking legal action, so that'll be interesting to see 
how all of that plays out. Hugh Williams was named for being verbally abusive and for fear of retaliation, and he's the former Kansas City head coach. Um, and he worked in their front office until very recently. And then Amanda Cromwell, Sam Green, and James Clarkson, I think all of them were mentioned in the reports, and I think, I'm pretty sure all of them were mentioned for retaliation. And like I said, many, many more details are in the full report if you want more details. On a lighter note, Sam Lady, a former assistant coach at O.L. Reign, is a new head coach at Houston Dash. He's been at O.L. Reign, I'm fairly certain, since the beginning. And so from the thank you, Sam videos and etc., it seems to have been, he seems to have been a good guy. So I'll be interested in seeing how he runs a team that's his own. NWSL expansion for its 14th team. The 13th will be the reinstated Utah Royals in Salt Lake City, Utah. has been narrowed down to three cities, San Francisco, California, Tampa, Florida, and Boston, Massachusetts. An issue, an issue with Boston is the facilities issue. An issue with Tampa seems to be it's really close to Orlando, and Orlando is towards the lower end of the league with attendances. And so to me, it seems like the leading bid is San Francisco or I guess the Bay Area, so it'll be interesting. I personally would like to see it in San Francisco or Boston. I really don't have a preference between the two. I think a lot of people will be upset that California will be getting, if it doesn't up in San Francisco, that California will be getting a third team. Um, But California is a big state. So The NWSL released a preliminary list of players who signed up for the draft, Um, and it's a rolling list. And around 90 have registered, and they have up until three, two or three days before the draft. The draft is on the 12th. They have it until midnight on the 9th, January the 9th, to register. And then this isn't really NWSL news, but it involves Christine Sinclair, who is an NWSL player. So Christine Sinclair and Diana Matheson are launching a Canadian Women's Professional League, and they'll begin play in 2025 with eight teams. And they'll be this will be really interesting because I think they said they'll have at least one or two Canadian internationals on each team, so it'll be interesting to see if they can convince some people to come from the NWSL or come back from Europe to play in this league. But that is it for right now for the NWSL news. And next I'll talk about the College Cup. So like I said, now I'm going to be talking about the NCAA College Cup. And in other sports terms, this is the soccer version of the Final Four. And the teams in the Final Four where Florida State and North Carolina and UCLA and Alabama, I go to an SEC school, so I was rooting for Alabama, and then my second team was UCLA, so it was kind of 
it was kind of stunk when they played each other. But North Carolina won 3-2 to two in the first of the final four games. The games were being played in Cary, North Carolina, which is the home of the North Carolina Courage. So the crowd heavily, heavily favored the North Carolina Tar Heels. Ali Gambone opened the scoring in the 42nd minute off of a poorly cleared ball, and then Tori Hansen made it 2-0 for North Carolina in the 58th minute off of a PK called because of a handball. Julia Dorsey made it 3-0 for North Carolina in the 66th minute off of a set piece. And then Florida State were able to grab one back when Oni Ekagini headed a ball in off of an assist from Johnny Jody Brown, and then to make it 3-2, Heather Payne scored off of an assist from Oni Yekajini. And so UNC had to hold on to absolute dear life to not make this game go on, go into overtime, even to the last kick of the game when the ball crossed was crossed in. A Florida State player almost made it to the ball. And then Alabama versus UCLA. UCLA won three nil. Riley Parker for Riley Mattingly Parker for Alabama got the ball in the net off of a really amazing diving header, but it did not count because of offsides. And I particularly think that this would have changed the momentum, and because this goal didn't really get called, didn't get called. It the that momentum shift really hurt Alabama, Alabama because minutes later Raylan Turner scored a tap in in the 30th minute to open the scoring for UCLA and then Quincy McMahon McMahon Quincy McMahon scored in the 52nd minute to make it 2-0 and then Madeline Desiano scored in the 54th minute to make it 3-0 and like I said, I feel like the Alabama goal, if that would have counted, it would have been a different game. And although the scoreline says something different, Alabama's goalkeeper, McKinley Crone, had several amazing saves. Um, but UCLA bossed the midfield for the majority of the game. So, And so that means that the final would be UNC versus UCLA, and UCLA won the previous matchup at the beginning of the season, 2-1 to one off of a game winner from Raylan Turner. And they would also win this game, this, okay, the national championship, 3-2 to two in double overtime. This was one of the most exciting games I've ever watched. I don't know if it's still up on the ESPN website, but if it is and you have access to ESPN, I highly, 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 I cannot state this enough, highly recommend going back and watching this game. It was so exciting. So there were no goals in the first half, and then Avery Patterson opened the scoring for UNC in the 59th minute off of an assist from Emily Moxley. She completed her breaks in the 75th minute off of an assist from Emily Colton, and both of her goals were headers. You could say that the UCLA goalkeeper, Lauren Brisky, could have done better, I guess. 
with these with these um goals, especially the second one, but the headers were also really good. And then Lexi Wright pulled one back for UCLA in the 90th minute. And then the clock in college soccer counts down instead of up, which for me personally, I don't mind because I'd like having a countdown timer. But Raylan Turner did tie, and there's no stoppage time in college soccer because they stop the clock for subs and they do stop the clock. But Raylan Turner tied the game up in the 90th minute with 16 seconds left and everybody was crying because that's emotional because you it it was interesting it was so fun to watch everybody's reaction and if I were UNC I would have like you thought you could see the fa- their faces like you thought that they thought you knew that they thought that they had it in the bag that they were about to win, that they were 16 seconds away from a national championship, and then they got equalized down. And then at that point, the game benefited UCLA going into overtime because, I mean, North Carolina just looked defeated. But some people think that there was a foul on UNC's goalkeeper during the um, corner kick that led to the goal. And I honestly think it depends on who you're a fan of, um, about what you really think. In my professional opinion, I don't think a referee's going to call that because it's such a high-stakes moment in the game. And, yeah, I doubt that foul will be called. Um, and it also looked like the ball... Could have possibly been going in the net anyways. So, who knows. Mary Carmen Reyes scored the goal, the game winner, in the 100th, 7th minute, which was the second period of overtime. And like I and she, she was another one who started balling after she scored, which I can understand because she's a fifth year. She came back for moments like this. Like, this means... Probably means everything to her, so I can understand. So UCLA ended up winning the national championship, and then some more um, interest. Some more news from the college soccer world is that Michelle Cooper, a Canadian forward, is turning professional after two years at Duke. She is not registered for the NWSL draft at the moment. But that doesn't mean that she won't. She's probably, she's good enough to kind of survey her options. So that's probably what she's doing. And like I said, they have until January the 9th. And I mean, I read somewhere that people like Andy Sullivan didn't declare until the night before the draft. Sophia Smith declared a couple of days before the draft. So, yeah. The finalist for the Matt Herman Trophy, which is the best player in college soccer are Corbin Albert, who's a sophomore midfielder from Notre Dame, Michelle Cooper, who is a sophomore forward from Duke, and Jenna Nyswanger, who's a senior forward and a midfielder from Florida State. Um, I think it's between Corbin Albert and Michelle Cooper. I think, I don't pay enough attention to 
the conference that they were in because they were both in the, I think it was the ACC. So, but I have heard about both of them. I wouldn't be surprised if they gave it to either one of them. I think the most surprising pick for me would be Jenna Nicewanger, but who knows? It's anybody's game at that point. So the last couple of things I'm going to be touching on have to do with Europe. Um, and the first one is where the WSL table stands at their Christmas break. Because games had to be called off because of the Queen's death, the Queen of England's death, there are some teams that have a game in hand. And then there has been think a couple of games having to be rescheduled because of pitch issues like frozen pitches and stuff but right now this is where it stands Chelsea is at 27 points with a plus 23 goal differential and they've played 10 so they've played the max number of games Arsenal is behind them with 24 points and a plus 20 goal differential and they've played nine games Man United has 24 po- 22 points with a plus 18 goal differential, and they've played nine. Man City has played nine, and they have 19 points and a plus 11 goal differential. West Ham United has played 10. They have 15 points and a negative three goal differential. Everton has played nine. They have a zero goal differential and 12 points. Aston Villa has played nine. They have a negative six goal differential, and they have have 12 points. Tottenham has played nine. They have nine points, and they have a negative six goal differential. Liverpool has played nine. They have eight points, and they have a negative five goal differential. Reading has played ten. They have seven points, and they have a negative 11 goal differential. Brighton has played 8, they have 7 points, and they have a negative 18 goal differential. Leicester City has played 9, they have 0 points, and they have a negative 23 goal differential. And then staying in Europe, um, the the group stage of the Champions League just finished today, and so um, the quarterfinalists who were the top two finishers in each group are Chelsea and PSG, finishing 1 and 2 in group A, I think. Wolfsburg and Roma finishing 1 and 2 in group B. Arsenal and Lyon. Lyon finishing 1 and 2 in group C, and then Barcelona and Bayern finishing 1 and 2 in group D. Lyon managed to get into the quarterfinals by the skin of their teeth. So it was Super, super close. And the quarterfinal draw won't be for a while. It's not until sometime in February. So that's the update for that part of the world, for the Europe part of the world. Um, And because it's Christmas time and winter break, I, I don't know realistically when the next episode will be. Because I want to make sure that I make episodes that are worth y'all listening to. But, like I said, that this was all. This was my little Europe update section. 
So I had to touch, I need to touch on this because it is, Brittany Griner is a major sports figure in the U.S., especially after she was wrongfully detained in Russia. I'm not trying to start a political conversation. I'm just giving y'all the news on how I see them or how I see it. But she was released after spending 294 days wrongfully detained in Russia. The U.S. exchanged Russian arms dealer Victor Bout for Griner. The U.S. did work to get American Paul Whelan freed as well, but Russia basically said Bout for Griner, that deal or no deal at all. Um, since then, since being released, Brittany Griner has said that she plans to play for the Phoenix Mercury next season, which I personally, I don't think I'd be able to do after spending almost a year in a, in Russian prisons. Um, and she also said herself that she is committed to getting other Americans like Paul Whelan free. So I think that is incredibly admirable to to um, commit to that kind of stuff after you, you know what that person has been through. So that's all for the episode today. I hope y'all enjoyed it. And like I said, I realistically don't know when my next episode is going to be because the NWSL is in off season and the WSL in England and Champions League has a little bit of a break. But um, if I had to guess, I'm going to try to do an episode of kind of like a draft preview before the draft and before I go back to school. So hopefully that's my next episode. Um, and just kind of give updates about the draft position because there haven't been any trades involving draft picks, which surprises me. Um, but yeah, so I hope you enjoyed this episode and like always recommend it to anybody you know who you think might like it. And I hope you want to come back for more episodes. Bye.